Alright, let's do this. How are you data scientists and engineers? How are you business people? What's up nerds? Did you grasp that thing you were studying? This is Data Science at Home, the podcast about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more good stuff. I am Francesco, I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes, so grab a cup of coffee and join me as we learn more about the topics we love most. Welcome back to Data Science at Home, I'm Francesco and will be your host for the next 40 minutes today. Well, today we're gonna speak about a lot of interesting stuff, as always. Uh, in this episode we'll speak about data, we'll speak about blockchain, we'll speak about privacy and ownership, we'll speak about monetization and much more. But I'm not alone, I'm with uh, Gilbert Hill, Head of Strategy at Tap My Data. Hi, Gilbert. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Good to see you and hear you. Good to hear and see you indeed. <laughs> so, well, today, indeed, as I mentioned, we're going to speak about pretty much a lot of stuff, actually. And um, But one in particular that is, uh, well, first of all, what is Tap My Data? And, uh, and data to be used as a currency, can I say, or a token? Yeah, well, first of all, it's really good to be here. Um, and um, I mean, I guess the question of what is tap my data and 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 the whole notion of data as a um, currency kind of mirrors my own journey into all this stuff myself. Um, but I am a privacy technologist um, and I'm also a tutor at the Institute of Data Marketing in London. Um, and I have to admit, I got into privacy by mistake. I was um, running a London digital agency for 10 years um, in the late 90s and early noughties. And it was part of that that we became dimly aware of what we were doing with other people's data for clients. We were doing a lot of like ad tech solutions, you know, websites. We're working with people like MSN, with things like um, uh, Microsoft Messenger bots, which is <laughs> sort of dates it. And, you know, we became aware of this via the introduction of the EU cookie laws about um, six years ago now. Um, now, these for the first time uh, required website owners to um, tell people what they were doing with their data and how they, you know, I mean, and for me and my team, we viewed cookies as tools. They were just small snippets of code that we used to make the web work in terms of personalization and things like that. But obviously, it led to us to discover the fact that there was a whole dark side to this kind of <laughs> under the waterline where these cookies were being used to create profiles and track people around the web as part of a kind of multi the trillion dollar um, um, industry of behavioral advertising and I ended up pivoting I ended up pivoting that business into a, um, a software as a service uh, product for website owners to um, get their hands you know heads around this risk which was you know to find out what cookies they were setting um, categorize them and then and then inform people about them via the dreaded cookie banners so you can partly blame me for those <laughs> um, I guess where, where tap my data came in was that um, after I sold that company to uh, a company called one trust I knew that I wanted to do that the person the, the person being left out of the equation was a consumer if you think about our interaction with privacy tech it's pretty much got stuck at the cookie banner um <laughs> or maybe a preference center where you say yeah i do want to get these emails i don't want to get these info emails within a within a company's website or an app um and i wanted to do something that focused on on the rights that gdpr and other regulations gave uh individuals and 
I got talking um, with the uh, the guys that tap my data via Twitter um, because we sort of found each other via Twitter, which is again one of these wonderful things we do now. <laughs> and they'd done a white paper. They wanted my input, and we were talking. I realised that they'd focused um, on one of the key challenges around people exercising their rights, which was to you know ask a question, knock on the door of companies, and say, "Have you got my data?" And start to repatriate this and they'd done it from what i really liked as well was when they'd done it they, they were techies but they'd done it from a you know they, they, they'd focused on a very simple question that question and building a really easy accessible tool to do that because a lot of the solutions had been previously they'd been really really complex and academic so i think my journey has been has been from one to um of of ignorance through to the point now where I was just on a call earlier and someone was like saying, oh my God, Gilbert, you spend all this time reading these regulations. It's so boring. And I find it more and more interesting. <laughs> but obviously what we're trying to do is bring this back to the fact that there is all this money being made from data and that people should have a have a part of that. Absolutely. That's, why, you know, that's what we're talking about. Absolutely. Here. But indeed, one sentence that really caught my attention was, I think I read it on, on the website uh, of Tap My Data, which is billionaires love your data probably because it made them billionaires <laughs> so how come if your data is so valuable you don't enjoy the rewards well i mean the we've seen that billionaires like you know mark zuckerberg um value their own privacy and that you know i, I think he famously he's bought um, not only the all the houses around his mansion, but all the houses on the other side of the street as well, because he doesn't he doesn't want um, uh, intrusion, <laughs> and that's fair enough. And we're we're all we're all sort of mindful of the value of our privacy in real life. I think um, huge fortunes have been made, as I've mentioned, in uh, via creating profiles and monetizing our data, or more particularly, at our attention, um, and. The trouble is that it's very difficult to know what our data's worth because the markets, those engines of that data commerce are black boxes. So again, Mark Zuckerberg, it sounds like I'm demonizing him, but he's just like, you know, one right. of these, one of these people who've done really well. He said, you know, the, he said the value of your data is a dollar per person per year, but that's because he's dictating the terms essentially and also increasingly you know if you're an advertiser you want to you want to get access to the people who may be interested in your products you want to um and and you want to spend your money wisely at the moment you're you're having to trust these huge black boxes that they are getting your messages to the the right individual um and again so there's lots of money sloshing around and within that there's lots of opportunity for, so I guess there's a market, but it's working in very imperfectly. So there's lots of slippage and also, you know, there's lots of fraud. I mean, I was shocked to read recently that the biggest source of uh, income for organized crime for the mafia after uh, drugs is, is uh, ad fraud, is bots. So this is big business. Um, wow. And at the moment, we're we're not seeing any of it so it's very difficult so it's very difficult to, for us to, to to value our own data without the tools and without the insight and without the functioning markets to do that so for sure yes it's very difficult to uh, set a value uh, especially because the end user uh, to the best of my knowledge is never part of that network uh, you know definitely not as a uh, you know 
taking the benefits of the of the data that they actually produce so we have seen this uh, many times out there not just on facebook but pretty much the internet is based around that concept right uh, now as you, as you said or someone said still on the website of tap my data not everyone has crypto to stake but we all have data and so can we consider data as tokens as a currency and the answer is yes the problem is how do we do that yeah that's a that's a that's a really good point and and it's it's still it's still a problem it hasn't necessarily been solved but i think the 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 building blocks are starting to be in place so if you want to make money from your data there's a couple of things that you need and again um i was aware of the blockchain for some time before um actually seeing how um tap my data and the means of of monetizing data and creating a statement of record for data was a really good real world use case for blockchain because i'd heard about you know blockchain being used for big company supply chains or tracing diamonds and stuff like that and i don't have a big company i don't have diamonds so it wasn't very relevant <laughs> but the idea that you could have transactions of data. So, you know, I'm Gilbert, I run a hotel, Francesco is asking me for uh, his data and that I can create like a, like a, a tally stick, a, 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 a central statement of record, which says you, you requested that data, I gave it back. That kind of data transaction um, is, and that, that um, you know, the blockchain playing that role is the first pillar. The next pillar is to have, you know, um, decentralized marketplaces, um, because at the moment, the only place that you can sell your, well, your data is sold, as you rightly say, because we don't see any of that, is in, you know, the, the Lumascape, this huge map of all the different intermediaries and middlemen that make money from our data, and it all flows to, you know, from from the from the advertisers um, through that 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 sea to the to the main to the main platforms what we're starting to get now is you know with with blockchain is decentralized markets and then the final pillar is just is is are the payment rails so that you then find need need a way to um basically uh um monetize that data and get it out to out to fiat which is sort of what we've seen it recently with you know the the markets crypto markets for crip for crip she dip you know <laughs> so the people having said fiat <laughs> is dead they're now realizing that actually having some money like in your in your wallet can sometimes be useful right well and then there is another problem that is what type of data like what is the data that you would like or you are uh you know willing to share to sell to monetize around um because you know there are as you said there are already several platforms that are preparing to you know paving the way actually to the data market and the data marketplace um depending on what type of data the user wants to to share or sell for example i can mention just a couple of projects out there brave and swash so my question to you is what's the major difference with project of that caliber uh, how does tap my data differentiate or complete the picture if, if you um, well i'm a great believer that um you know that we will only do this by working together and and tap my data has a good relationship with both those projects and i think that it's all part of i mean it's been really exciting to see how brave in particular has formed part of kind of a privacy stack so if you think about brave as the browser and you know duck, duck, Go as a search engine 
um, these can all coexist. I think the, uh, and you know, SWASH is, is the first and the biggest data union. Um, and you can already, I mean, the, the amazing thing about SWASH is that you can already make money from your data via, um, you know, the data points that they capture and that you're getting a, a piece of the action. So those are really, you know, trailblazing projects. I think where um, Tap My Data fits into this is that um, you already have a situation where many, many organizations hold records of your data. So you have an incomplete record of your data. And the average person has like something like 140, we found from uh, Tap My Data from our, our own um, research and our own data, but about 140 organizations having a record on them. If you can start to repatriate that, then you can start to own the master record of your data. And we're sort of jumping ahead here, but if you then start to do things like, you know, verify ID and blend in other data points, that becomes a really nice on-ramp for some of these other projects. And you also, I mean, the ultimate vision for something like TAP is that, you know, Brave is very, uh, like I say, has been um, a trailblazer, but it hasn't got around the problem that, um, I, you know, I'm if I if I elect to see ads in Brave, it's still showing me ads for things I bought last week, or I decided not to buy <laughs> last week. But it's still you're looking in the rearview mirror of the car, and it's distorted. So actually, the idea of tap was always, and and you know, for these to come together, that you have a situation where right now, so for example, like you know, my smoke alarm broke in the kitchen this morning. Um, right now. I'm really interested in getting a new smoke alarm. So if I had more control of my data and I had right. that accurate data record, I could, you know, open up a port and of this sort of new preference center and say, I'm interested in, in, in receiving ads um, and offers around this. And that, you know, that's another factor of a, a, a better functioning market. Cause at the moment that's not working. It's, it's annoying me with irrelevant ads and the adver advertisers are, aren't, aren't sharing their money. So it's a series of kind of steps. And the fact that, you know, Brave has socialized the idea um, that you can have a different a browser that isn't monetized on personal data in that web 2.0 way and swash that you can have a data union and that you can get you know a critical mass of people together who can make money from their data in an ethical way are really important sort of puzzle pieces that tap also fits into very recently we had streamer network on the show uh, so how does tap play with ecosystems like streamer network well, I should mention that Streamer um, and Swash are both partners of TAP, so we don't just talk about this stuff. We um, <laughs> also walk the walk. Um, and, you know, we TAP works very closely um, with um, other, in, you know, in, incumbents of the uh, web-free ecosystem. And particularly where we see ourselves uh, working is as a, a sort of a capture point, as an on-ramp for this data and a means by which the individual can improve quality of that. One of the big challenges, particularly with decentralized marketplaces that we've seen like Ocean, is that um, put, frankly, a lot of the data on there is, is kind of junk and data scientists spend 45% of their time just cleaning up bad quality data sets. The barriers of entry to get a data set up there, throw it up there and have some fun and see what, it, what the data is worth are, are very low. Um, but there's a definite role to be played 
both for uh, in terms of cleaning that data and also making it more accessible. That's what I saw that was interesting about Tap My Data, the fact that you're focusing on one very simple task, but you're doing it using consumer grade tech with people's phones. And that's the thing, people are on their phones anyway. And it's a kind of natural evolution because I think if for all of these, these, these projects that we've mentioned to be successful, now a lot of them have been driven or, or, or birthed out of like GDPR and regulation. And that's been a really important driver. Now we've got to make, make them plug into these old data buying systems that we talked about at the start, because actually those data, that data trade, as I call it, they also want to evolve and they want to do things smarter as well, because the power of Google and Facebook is only getting bigger and bigger. So it's, as I've mentioned before, you know, the way that TAP works with Streamer, with Swash, with Brave, with Ocean is very much as, as I mean, it's, it's a really overused term, but it's like, you know, like a rebel alliance, which is, <laughs> which is now kind of reaching maturity. Right. I like that. <laughs> so if you had to, let's say, summarize or uh, squeeze tap into a definition, uh, what is it? Is it an app? Is it a protocol? A combination of the two? Um, as I mentioned, the app came out of the, the need to have tools around data rights. So the, the, um, and we used, um, as I mentioned, blockchain was an elegant solution for that. And also using the Stellar blockchain was a really good way to handle many, many thousands of transactions at very low cost. Um, um, obviously, TAP has evolved to become a, you know, a protocol which creates something you know, create standards for people to do something with that data. And again, as part of that, we've done the migration to Ethereum. And, you know, we fought long and hard about that, but um, Ethereum made sense to us because it was the, um, obviously the ecosystem with the biggest number of other, other, other D apps and, and, and where, and also the, also the biggest uh, um, community of, of, of investors and, and stakeholders. Sure. So b before we get into the more technical details and probably the, you know, the backbone of all the apps, which is indeed the blockchain uh, and the ecosystem of the apps. Um, if I went to tapmydata.com and I downloaded the app, uh, what, what happens? Like what's the workflow? In terms of what, what happens when you download the app, um, probably the point that led you to to download it and interact with that with TAP was that you were um, concerned about a data breach, you were um, curious, you maybe received some unexpected marketing, or you were curious just about where, where your data was. And that's something that we did a lot in our marketing. We were saying that actually, it's fine to be curious about where your data is and to try and blow up some of their myths because what had happened with what I call the, the kind of the first age of uh, privacy tech was that it was focused around compliance and companies. There was this sort of myth that the only people who asked questions about their data and cared about their data were privacy cranks or, you know, ambulance chasing lawyers building a case or maybe an investigative journalist and that's and there's a lot of, you know that's that's not the case and we found that lots of people you know young and old are want to ask questions about their data so the workflow of tap is to obviously down, download it try and find um some of the companies that you're interested in we've got a database of over um 13,000 companies who are 
are will you know are, are on the database and will receive subject access requests, which is one of the rights which are enshrined in um, GDPR. Um, and you can start to start to um, play with that. Um, once you've made requests, um, the first thing that you realize is that a lot of these companies require you to provide some ID. Um, and again, what we are trying to solve with Tap My Data is a situation that if I'm asking you for my data, you're wanting me to give you more data to answer that question. And often this data mm. is super, I mean, the, the standard process that we discovered and we shine, shone a light on was that, that when someone asked for their data, they would be required to take a scan of their passport or government issued right. ID and maybe even put it in a post and then they get information back in the post and like people get like, it was, it was crazy, absolutely crazy. So one of the first things that we recommend doing is to um, uh, add your own um, uh, credentials and verify your ID. So verify your, your email, verify, we can also do a postal address. And then because no solution existed, we ended up again using the functionality of the smartphone to create the opportunity to um, scan a document and do a selfie. All those things which have been familiar with some parts of businesses, you know, like when you're getting a bank loan or something like that, that's natural, but haven't been used in this space, which is data. And, you know, going back to our earlier point, if we're going to get serious about making money from data and people making money from the data, we have to address that issue of, of, of ID. So what we're doing with the app is taking you down those different steps. Once you've made those requests and you've started to get them back, you can keep the other element of the app is a, a data wallet. So you can keep your data safe and you can choose to share that with um, some org with or other organizations. So the data stays on your device. That's right. That's right. And again, okay. that was a big challenge with making the app because we knew we didn't want to add, you know, fuel to this fire and become part of a problem. So we we built the uh, built the app to privacy by design design principles with input from Dr. Anne Kavukian, who actually created privacy by design. Um, so that means that. Tap My Data has no access to uh, the user profiles or any of the data that's, that's, that's shared. And like you say, the, the data stays securely on the phone. You do have the option to, um, to download that data to another space. And again, that's where we see ourselves fitting in at the moment. There's a very, very tiny market for like, you know, data, um, you know, privacy pods or data uh, data clouds that are privacy conscious but in the future just like you have you know file sharing and uh, you know um, and image sharing that's going to be increasingly increasingly a thing you you mean becoming the custodian of the data right the data custodian for a pool of individuals that don't have probably the device, don't have the space, don't have the 24 hour internet connection or bandwidth. Right? Exactly, exactly. We're, we're, you know, we know that the technology already exists because it's being used by the, the really big players. So it's a question of re, you know, um, retooling that technology for a different set of actors. Now that could yeah. be the individual like you and me, it could be groups of people like data sure. unions which is becoming right. a really you know really big thing right now and i find very exciting um and it can you know it can also be third parties like it can be um it could be a regulator or it could be you know i mean the 
someone who needs that data for a particular purpose because we've seen that happen a lot with you know with covid that that there's been more of this idea that data is is a public good that can be shared and that you need to share your your test details to get access to 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 uh you know air flight or something like that so so gilbert once once i i plug my data or i connect my data let's say uh i need to provide consent right to the let's say data consumers uh how do you guys manage consent because that's very well known to be a tough challenge <laughs> it is and and you know it's fair to say that before gdpr consent was being kind of stretched to breaking point so that we've all got familiar with you know long terms and conditions statements where all sorts of um consent for all sorts of different processing activities for all sorts of different stuff being done to our data would be would be lumped together and gdpr put a much bigger focus on consent and the fact that it had to be had to be granular so you had to break that down into the different bits into the different tasks and also it had to be freely given so you couldn't like you know um we keep on talking about star wars but you know kind of do a jedi mind trick and say you're you know i'm good with all this <laughs> and you know and having been responsible for you know the birth of a lot of cookie banners i don't think the cookie banners are respecting that so consent is a huge problem and it's and it's and it's tougher than ever so again what we're looking to do uh, us and others looking at consent now is to try and find ways that you can put the individual back in control of their consent because because the consent um, is a um, uh, you know unlike security which is binary consent is highly contextual so depending on how well i know you I will give you consent to do different things with my information and that will change over time. So for, you know, the example we were talking about, I'm interested in a, uh, a certain product now, I won't be interested in it, it, it down the line. Um, so what um, we're looking to do is to give the, give um, people more control via an app or also, you know, via 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 the browser is something that us and a number of other projects are doing to have 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 more granularity around that consent, and more control as a first step to trying to to package that up. So, Gilbert, from a technical perspective, uh, managing consent, of course, that can happen with different technologies, with different methodologies, especially, for example, via cryptographic algorithms, via uh, SLAs. Uh, how do you guys manage consent? Um, well, I think NFTs are a really interesting um, way to think of consent. And I think they're the natural evolution from what I was talking about, the, the blockchain as a statement of record. And we've all got used to NFTs as being, you know, cool things that artworks that you can not only know that you own an artwork definitively, um, but you can also own uh, break an artwork up into hundreds of chunks and then put them all together like a piece. And I think thinking about that, made me realize it made, made, made me and the team realize that you know nfts um you know can hold the key to unlocking the value in in, in, in a lot of your data because they represent something that's certifiable again if you think about you know facebook and all these platforms that get our consent to do things with data we kind of have to take their their word for it that they have got the right consent and they're using it in the right way and that trust is breaking down now with NFTs, 
you can own your consent. So if you think about tap, you're, 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 you're owning your data and then you're saying, I want it to be used for this purpose or that purpose. And again, data unions can help with that because you don't want to interact with all those 140 organizations. You want to do it once. Of course. Um, and you can get, NFTs can help you license that content, cons so, sorry, that consent to organizations to use it um, in in the way that you want and organizations get that kind of that ticket that receipt which is verifiable evidence that they have the rights to use the data they hold um, and this you know this can this you know this is in the same way that trademarks and other ip rights do um, and they can actually use that as, as 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 an asset so if you so 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 that means that i can mint my own nft and i can choose to market that nft that kind of proactive place where we say actually i've got my nft these are the bits of consent of my data that i'm happy to share if you think about we're much happier with sharing say our spotify history or if we have like a you know a tesla car um that those already you know those already have open apis that that's less personal data than say our healthcare industry right at now at the moment everything is being treated the same with like you say this very um um basic um disclaimer approach to consent with this the nft becomes a you know a granular um um entity that data can owners can use to can choose to to market it and organizations can can then aggregate those data and then and then and then purchase and and, and trade and sell bundles of that consented data which is a big evolution from what we've currently got like on ocean marketplace which is like kind of data free, free for all you know like i found this data on the floor and i think it's worth something you know <laughs> well yeah but that, that's finally i mean finally we see nft in action kind of applied to you know something for which people should be less skeptical than they were uh, when they they became a hype for you know last month or so um now the malicious user um can a data owner fake that they have data um or for example trade share give consent on data that they actually do not own can that happen um, that's a that's a really great question um i think it's it's possible to spoof any system um um, and I mean, what we found since, I mean, if you think about Tap My Data was an experiment because when we were building it, people were saying, lots of stakeholders were saying, people aren't interested in this, they're not going to use it. And, you know, 10,000 users later, <laughs> we know that's not true and that they use it. Um, we also found that um, the, the amount of people who wanted to kind of spoof the system and um, make lots and lots of requests hundreds of requests or try and get data they weren't entitled to was very low because actually when you're doing something on the blockchain you are leaving a trace so if i wanted to you know steal data and sell it i probably wouldn't use something like tap my data which leaves a breadcrumb trail of the data enter entering and leaving wallets also the fact that we've brought in the id verification means that it's not it's not worth um a, a malicious actors uh, well i mean in a way um um it, it would be interesting to see someone try and do that because it tests our security but um we've not we've not had any evidence of that yet because it's still so much easier for someone to go through your like your your rubbish bin 
get some information and then use that to phone a contact center and try and get more information still that's that stuff still works day in day out and again tap kind of mitigates that if we're trading data using tap using a digital id then that's a much more secure gotcha well you mentioned before already two uh of probably the biggest blockchains uh blockchain technologies out there like you started with stellar you guys moved to ethereum uh curiosity why was that the case and what are the benefits of being on ethereum rather than stellar um well obviously ethereum had a much uh, stellar was a really elegant solution for the transactions um, and for proving what was then our our concept um we realized that um to have greater fungibility to get the value out of the data that the marketplaces were all working on the on on the ethereum platform and that we um when we came to raise uh, uh launch our own token at the end of last year we launched that as an erc20 token so one of the big things on our roadmap this year that we've 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 successfully solved is to migrate those wallets and those stellar tokens over one for one for um for ethereum tokens and then to see you know and then to obviously to to plug in to i mean a lot of what we've been doing and i've been doing in recent months has been forging alliances with other projects which bring the things that make our own proposition stronger be that um uh on the on the on the id side via decentralized marketplaces or data unions they're all living in the ethereum ecosystem and i mean you know we've seen in recent market disruptions you know that there's that graphic which has a number of apps built on bitcoin is like one and then there's this huge <laughs> constellation of stuff happening yeah. on ethereum of course there are there are issues with ethereum and gas costs which we're all suffering from. exactly so that that was something i would have i would i would have liked to ask like uh depending too much on ethereum blockchain uh you know you're subject to of course to the cost of the transaction right that can as especially now it has an extremely high volatility so a service built on top of ethereum can cost you nothing today and be prohibitive tomorrow how do you get have you guys i'm sure you guys are taking that into account right yes i mean um gas as you say it's a, a it's at really high levels um and you know, it's this problem is not going to be solved um, overnight. Um, I mean, there's also the problem, which is very valid, which was raised by, um, you know, Bitcoin around um, the um, uh, sort of the climate impact of of um, proof of work uh, blockchains. Obviously, Ethereum has a roadmap to move to proof of stake and also the future is multi-chain so i mentioned partnerships we're you know we're all, we're on polygon um and now on finance smart chain as well and you know nature abhors a vacuum so when you have a situation like this where everyone's hurting the you know both from one side from gas fees which are making things illiquid and also from a drop in uh, uh, hopefully a temporary drop in market prices um then people come up with innovative um you know uh, ways to move or bridge from the ethereum um mainnet um and that's something that we're already um offering people so gilbert let me switch gear to 
technology and uh, the technology stack because you know we are nerds here at data science at home podcast so we would like to know what are the languages and uh, the technological decisions that you guys have made at tap my data sure um i mean i love to talk about stuff too and i mean in terms of languages we'll come to that in a second i think our approach was um that you know we we don't want your data so i mean as a technologist um, like so many before me, uh, when we built products and applications, um, we they sucked up data, they piled it into a database, and then we tracked user activity. Uh, so with Tap as a startup, we thought differently, and we were starting, you know, with a blank canvas. So there were two principles with the development that we followed. The first one being to collect as little data as possible from a user in the first instance. Um, we've already talked about briefly. Briefly, it's known as privacy by design and in term, and privacy by default. The second one would be to hold not hold anything personal that isn't encrypted and ensure that only the intended parties can decrypt it. Now, the, both of those sound pretty straightforward, but actually it's really tricky um, because, you know, from a moment you open the app, you need to create a user profile. And for a user profile, you need data. So common practice would suggest that we need to collect an email and a password, which in, you know violates our principles of privacy by design. So our solution was basically to generate a user profile on the fly without our intervention. Um, so we, we assign a random email address to users and also create a super secure password that users will never know and never need. Now, all of this is invisible to the end user, but <laughs> to build something, design and build into privacy by design principles take, took us about 50% upfront more work in terms of design, in terms of, st of structure and in development. Um, and that's at the core of the, uh, of the um, Tap My Data platform. In terms of a tech stack, um, the web platform is built using PHP, um, Laravel and MySQL. Um, and like I mentioned, um, you know, the uh, uh, cryptography is a key element of uh, security of a solution. So the personal data associated to the accounts um, through the request and response of dialogue we were talking about earlier, that's secured with elliptic curve based cryptography. And there's more details about this on our, on our website. We, uh, our CTO did a, a really interesting blog about this. Um, verified identities are handled through hashes. So we do have the data within our system briefly while verification is carried out, but the results are converted to hashes and the original data is thrown away. So again, it's that whole data life cycle. We don't want the data, you know, you know, out of principle, we will capture the data that we need to, to perform a service, we'll hash it, and then we'll dispose of it. Um, in terms of the mobile app, the mobile app's built to be cross-platform, um, so it's iOS and Android, and that's built with React Native. Um, and the app communicates with the Tap My Data platform um, via the API over HTTPS. Um, in terms of the API, that's the final part of the puzzle. That's, uh, that's, that's JSON and it follows RESTful principles where it makes sense. And authentication is based on OAuth 2. That's a pretty nice picture and uh, a nice set of technologies all, all at once. <laughs> yeah, you can do that with startups. That's a beauty. <laughs> exactly. a blank canvas. It's much harder yeah. doing it with legacy tech. Um, Absolutely true. It was a really nice, you know, nice project to approach. And um, but it's really tough to it's really tough to stick to those principles. So, you know, when we first got companies using it, 
one of the first questions they had was, you know, they, they get a they get a key to access the to, to, to access the dialogue with the individual, they'd lose their key and they'd get in touch with us and say, We lost our key. Have you got a God mode? Mm. Can you can you <laughs> can you resell our password? We had to say no. And 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 a lot of them would get really cross because they weren't used to that. So building to these building to these principles and sticking by them is great, but it's 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 a, it's a different discipline to how we did things traditionally um and and it's starting to get traction now the thing is i mean we've got our development team is partly based in the uk and also based in in canada we've got about six developers in total but developers get this stuff they love it because we're telling them you know that they do this stuff instinctively they want to do things elegantly with a minimum of data and they they embrace security um both in their work life and they value their privacy in their private life as well. So we, you know, we, we're able to, to talk to them in their language. That makes perfect sense, uh, Gilbert. This was a very interesting conversation. I'm pretty sure that the listeners of Data Sense at Home podcast will enjoy as much as I did uh, having a conversation with you. Uh, now, of course, we will report all the links that you mentioned, especially the interesting blog posts from the city of Tap My Data about privacy and crypto keys and stuff like that on the official website in the show notes of this episode at datascienceatome.com. Gilbert, it was really great to have you here on the show. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me. Lots of fun. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.